What is up, everybody? It is myself, Nolan Olm, here on the Make It Happen podcast. Today is going to be an incredible episode. We have Brett Sandwick, mental skills coach, sports psychologist, cognitive performance specialist. This guy is that dude. He has helped me a ton from when I first got here at Eastern. I had a lot of issues with the mental skills area, and he got me through it all. And really, a lot of my success I attribute to him. I know he's going to or he, he talked about it with, with me. He said, you know, you did the work. I said, well, you know what? You're the one that is, you know, Yoda out here getting me right. So Brett is awesome. You guys are going to take a ton out of this episode. There's so much. We talk about confidence, overthinking, strategies that top guys use, like EJ Manuel, uh, Jake Hayner, quarterback for Fresno State, just won the Mountain West Championship, Keelan Doss, NFL receiver, and, and a bunch of other guys. He's worked in the military. He worked in the military for over 11 years or just around 11 years, and uh, he, uh, yes, he's he's really, really skilled in what he does, he's a CEO of Elite Mentality, go check him out on Instagram at Elite Mentality, has a whole website, I'll link it in the description, but a really good resource for you guys, and this guy knows what he's talking about, he's elite, and he gets results, and you can't argue with results, so I'm really looking forward to you guys listening to this, it's going to be incredible, it was my favorite episode, just in terms of the content he brings, he brings so much for you guys that to act on and I think you're gonna want to go check him out after so anyways with that being said here's my guy Brett Sandwick just kind of give me how and why you got into sports psych and just kind of the the 101 on on Brett Sandwick yeah absolutely not uh grew up just a, a basketball player mostly was better at baseball so I played both in high school was uh three-time all league in basketball and baseball and then I went to Washington State University and decided um, against trying to walk on to either basketball or baseball and really just started my academic career. And from there on, I, my goal was just to help people and started majoring in psychology. And when I was a junior, uh, heard about sports psychology and created my own class, um, independent study at Washington State with the help of two professors, Dr. Sarah Oldridge French and Dr. Samantha Swindell. And from there, they recommended Florida State University. Uh, got my master's at Florida State. And then for the last 11 plus years, I've been trained the US Army. So that was nine years of conventional army and then two years of special operations out here in Tacoma. Uh, meanwhile, continued the entire time to work with pro college and high school level athletes and, and created my own business elite mentality doing that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So what made you want to, you know, branch off and kind of make your own business and um, ultimately like what's, what's kind of the vision with that? Like, do you want to work with teams or do you, what do you enjoy more kind of that one-on-one, -on -one, like working with some guys like Keelan Doss, uh, Jake Hayner, like what's kind of the ultimate vision for you and an elite mentality? I think it's a little bit of both. And that's why I really can't decide uh, within the special operations. I really enjoy the fulfillment of of getting them to perform at their best regardless of the situation and i mean they give up so much within special operations and within just the army in general but then when i was working with them i, I did miss just working with athletes and so that's where um, i created my own business with elite mentality and i think a, a future goal is just to be an expert consultant to the best of the best and I'm trying to constantly get there. And you see these, these individuals, like you were saying with Keelan Doss, Jake Hayner, 
and, and a lot of other ones is the higher up they get, the more mental it becomes and the more that they have to have to really train their brain and not just leave it up to their athleticism. For sure. For sure. So nine years and then um, two with, with the special operations, what obviously there's a, probably a lot. Um, but what are some of some of your main takeaways and um, do you have any like cool stories, experiences that stick out for that that time period you spent with them? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just how many performances that they have to be experts in, especially with special operations. Um, it's not like they can just be good at one thing like shooting, like uh, land navigation, like orienteering they're required to be self-sufficient and be dropped off maybe in the middle of a different country and within the 12 of them on a team is is figure out how to do their mission and so they have specialties in in different um they call them mos's the specialties within the army so a weapon spell specialist a communication specialist etc and I think just the most fascinating thing is their ability to push through the pain and be flexible. I think COVID was a perfect example of working with them and teaching them classes is they're used to having half of the information and having to deal with that. So they handled COVID very well because they're going in with their idea of a plan and then we have to shift constantly. So they're used to that both in the training setting, but also in different missions that they have, that they are required to be flexible to then be able to handle whatever austere environments they're in. Mm, very interesting. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, obviously, like you're talking about, yeah, it's so it's so important for the military and stuff. Um, and then, yeah, you're, you're branching over into <clears throat> more of that sport specific stuff. And I just want you to talk a little bit, because even for me, I've kind of been, you know, witnessing this huge like spike in, in, you know, being people being open to talking about the mental abilities and almost treating it as a, like a, like you talked about in uh, the Elevate podcast that you run. It's like a whole nother subset, right? You have your, your strength and conditioning, you have your, your skill specific, and then you have your mental skills, right? Um, talk a little bit about the importance of, of this stuff that we're kind of going to get to into in a little bit and like talk about its rise over the past, you know, decade or so it's just skyrocketed. Yeah. So I think two big things within sports psychology is that A, it has followed the same kind of career path that strength and conditioning has, of it used to just be on the leader or the coach to then train the physical side um, and the mental side. And, and really it's, it's morphed into now having a specialist within sports psychology to help the coach, help the players that has a background in sports psychology. Um, because the higher and higher you get, you, you can't leave that stuff to chance. Mm -hmm. And if we think about what percentage of a sport or a performance is mental, a lot of people will say 50 to 90%. But then when I ask them, how much time are you spending deliberately training your mind? The answer tends to be that they're not allocating or spending that appropriate amount of time. Training their uh, sorry for my dog. No, it's all good. And so... I think that the higher that, that people get, the more that they've realized that within elite athletics, and then it, it's funneling down to youth. And why not develop the right habits when you're younger and get that neuroplasticity so we build those right thinking habits? 
And I think that that's why it's taken so long to catch on to is because you can't see it. You can't see that this person has a lot of mental toughness because their brain's bigger like a muscle. Yeah. It's more of you see it in their behavior. And it's very hard to quantify. Um, but lately, um, people have put more of an emphasis on that. And I think that it's important to notice too that there's two different kind of tracks within sports psychology. One is to improve performance. And so if you think about like a Kobe Bryant, the most mentally tough to just push through whatever he has to do, have the right mindset, like that Mamba mentality to perform. But then there's also the side of more mental health. And I think it's important to differentiate the two. A lot of people like to combine them. And, and there are a few individuals that do both. But if we look at maybe we have a performance enhancement sports psych, but then we also have a clinical or counseling sports psych that is more looking at some of those clinical concerns. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that, that's super interesting for you to say that too, even for me, just thinking about that. Obviously, you probably prefer the more, um, the performance side of things, uh, you would say so, yeah? Yeah, I would say that that's where my background has been in the more performance enhancement, more than the mental health. Obviously, yeah. mental health has had a huge rise yeah. in the last couple of years. Um, and you look at somebody like Simone Biles, there's a difference between the performing under pressure and then her choosing to withdraw from the Olympics for her mental health. So there's two different aspects there. And a lot of, a lot of universities honestly don't know the difference between the two. Mm -hmm. They try to hire one person to do them both. Yeah. And really you got to know what you're looking for in order to know which one you want to hire there. Yeah. No, I think that's good for people that on this to hear too. There's, I, even even when we were working together, I would I would go to I had my own therapist counselor that I had at home that I would talk to about you know more off the field stuff and then whenever we would communicate, obviously um, via Coach Pat connecting us, uh, it was it was all about that on the field stuff and I think both like you're saying they have their time and their place and they're both extremely important and uh, are definitely key to reaching your maximum potential. Like it doesn't matter how strong or fast you are if you're um, you know, in, incapable of upstairs, it's, it's tough to really perform. Right. So let's, let's get into some of these things that you talk about and, and give, give the people listening some, some things that they can kind of, um, apply, um, to their performance, uh, and some, some things along those lines. So you're, you're the big thing that you kind of talk about, and that's very common with all the sports psychology stuff is, is presence and maintaining your ability to be in the here and now, because that's really the only moment that's real. Um, talk a little bit about that. And, you know, after you kind of explain your, your kind of perspective on it, because everyone has their own kind of way to talk about it. What are some things, some practices that you give to your athletes that you work with to, to work on being present? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think one big thing is um, Tenrev is a, a legend within sports psychology would say, be where your feet are. And too often our mind travels to the future. So thinking about outcomes, thinking about what ifs, or it's thinking about the past, what has happened before. And like you said, Nolan is like, we can only perform our best in the present moment. 
whether that's a college or NFL quarterback going through their reads and looking through what do they see right now, or whether that's a baseball player in this pitch. So you hear coaches say all the time, like play one play at a time or one pitch at a time. And there's a number of different strategies to do that, whether that's um, pre-performance routines. So not just a pre-game routine, a lot of people have pre-game routines to get them in the right mindset, but how do you have a pre-performance routine that every single play you're doing a strategy that gets you locked into the here and now? Mm -hmm. um, with that being said, you got to have a refocus technique because if we don't have a refocus technique, we don't, we're not aware that our mind is either going to the future or the past or a distraction, then we're not able to get that back in. Um, and, a, and a big thing that has helped and, and Jake Hayner just said it in an interview a couple of weeks ago is a sniper technique that I talked with him about. It's a three by three technique. So, so you look around the room and you just look at what are three things that I see in the environment. So for the, all the listeners who are listening right now, just look at three things that you see in your environment. What are three things that you hear right now? Okay, so you might've heard my dogs kind of in the background. I have two Rottweilers that are in the background. You might hear our voice. There might be a distraction or something at your home or wherever you're listening to. And then what are three things that you feel with a sensation of touch? So this might be the warm or cold air on your skin. This might be the feeling of your butt to the seat or maybe like clothes on your skin. And when we do that, our mind can't focus in on two things at the same time. So that really helps to ground us to stay in the present moment. So you, you hear Jake, talking about that in his post-game interview of that's how he's able to, when he's in the pregame warmups, he's in the pregame warmups. When he's putting his helmet on, he's putting his helmet on and not somewhere else. Um, and really we need to, to lock into something in the environment. A lot of times when we're not present, our attention goes internal and that's when we choke. You know, if we think about Routines that we have, whether that's a putting routine in golf, the people who choke, who are when your mind goes internal, you're thinking about the mechanics of the putt, and all of a sudden you don't do a simple behavior, maybe like basketball, like making a layup, because your mind is going internal. So those are just a couple strategies, but what I like to do is give people a menu to see what's going to work for them whether it's staying present. And a lot of people are into the mindfulness um, or meditation. That is two different strategies that can help a lot. Um, routines, sniper technique. There's a bunch more that can help people. Um, but I think the, the most fascinating thing is, is look at your environment. Look at internally, what's the environment that's our day-to-day? -day? And are we trying to multitask? Are we trying to watch a Netflix show while we're on our phone, while we're doing homework, while we're doing something else? And really we're training our brain to try to think about a number of things at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it's not possible. Yeah. And so if we can then just lock into the movie that we're watching or lock into that sports game that we're watching, 
and not be distracted by other things, those are just little things that we can do throughout the day that help train our brain either correctly and the right habit or train it to be more distracted. Mm. That was incredible. Wow. That was really good. I've never heard of that, that sniper technique you said there. And like, even just now I kind of was doing it as you're, so I'm just so locked into what you're saying. And uh, man, it brought me right to the present moment, but that is awesome. And even just given the people at home, like it's only been like 10 minutes and you're already getting golden nuggets. So that's why Brett is here today. Um, so, you know, we talk about presence and I think the biggest thing too, with that, and you said it in your other podcast as well as, um, you know, one of the first pillars is being aware that you're not even in the present or that you're in the present moment, right? And um, then you talk about having the ability to change that, right? How do people cultivate that? And I know it's going to come come back to kind of coming to the present moment, but a lot of people just aren't aware of what's really going on inside, right? And then they're already choking. So how do you initially when you're working with someone, you know, maybe a high school athlete, right? That like from ground zero, how do you give them that awareness and that ability to change um, their internal state? Absolutely. Yeah. I, Nolan, you bring up a great example. Um, the first step has to be awareness and it could be other people telling them like coaches, obviously a lot of people don't like to listen to their parents after the game in the car, <laughs> um, telling them what they did wrong, but any way that they can build that awareness. And I, I would recommend first after the game, mm -hmm. whether that's some people like to journal um, with a lot of the athletes I work with, I give them a mental AAR, which is an after action report from the military. What went well? How was your performance one to 10? How was your effort? And then what was something that, that you were in the green light? So things were going well and you continued to do well. What's something, as Ken Revisa would say, the yellow light, is things are starting to get a little wonky, and what did you do? And then the second part of that is what should you have done? So maybe you recognize that you're starting to overthink, and you did X, and it should have been Y. And then the last one with the stoplight or traffic signal analogy that Ken Revisa has used is when you're in the red light, when things aren't going well. And that doesn't have to just be the outcome, but the internals, like maybe you're frustrated, maybe you're angry, maybe you're too happy or you're too mm -hmm. excited. Mm -hmm. What did you do? And then what should you have done? And sometimes the answer, Nolan, is that they did the right thing and we need to learn from that success. Because a lot of times people only um, inadvertently learn from the mistakes. Yeah. We want them to not only learn from the mistakes, but also, hey, what did you do right? And so to get that self-awareness so that you're continuing to build that habit. And then the next step with the change is, is where all the money's made. Is that person willing to then try? And do they have the right techniques in order to refocus, in order to get motivated, in order to then um, be confident. Mm. So that's a whole different aspect of, do you know what to do? Are you then able to change? And if we think about like, a lot of people might be aware that they're in a bad mood, but then it's really hard for them to snap out of it, yeah. to get out of that bad mood. And it's really all up to them. Like yeah. you think your thoughts, nobody else thinks your thoughts. 
you think your thoughts and you have a choice on what thoughts to, to think. Um, and, I, and I think a, a big powerful thing um, that a lot of people resonate with is thoughts are not facts. Just because you're thinking something doesn't mean it's true. And we tend to be our own biggest critic instead of our own biggest asset. And so that can help sometimes is self-regulate, not believe your own devil on your shoulder that's telling you you can't do something, mm -hmm. that's remembering all your mistakes, is being able to kind of flush that to self-regulate. Yeah. Wow. Really, really good. I, uh, I love that that AAR, the after action report, that's one thing I took from you that I still very heavily um, do. And I think when I first met you, I was doing my own sort of thing that I picked up from a podcast. It was, it was WWR. So what went well? Uh, what can I work on? And then I uh, literally redid it all. I visualized it all. But that with the, with the green, yellow, and red, it took me to a whole nother level. And then I kind of added in my own thing where I would go back and I'd visualize those moments, those yellows, those red lights, and like you're saying, you're just, it's like Trevor Moad used to say, I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but it, it's like deconstructing your own success. Like we all have had moments where we've been successful. And I think a lot of people have to learn to trust themselves, like you're saying, and realize like, I just read the, the book, As a Man Thinketh. I don't know if you've ever read that before. It's a really short read. Yeah. So it's, it's all, it's a very short read, but basically it's just saying your thoughts are everything and you're the one in control. I just told my friend this the other day. You made me think of this crazy thought, like, it's crazy that most people let their own mind run them. Very scary thought. But as soon as you get that awareness, like you're saying, it's that first pillar, the awareness, then you truly start to become free or at least closer to that, that freedom. Um, now, obviously, after you're talking about all this stuff, probably the next place people usually go, right, is into a little bit of overwhelm, right? You're giving them these strategies. It's like, geez, I haven't even... I haven't even thought about mental skills, right? And it's it's like looking at the top of Everest. But, you know, you kind of talked about it before, but I, I'm excited for you to go into it again. You know, you have to view it just like you're saying. You guys are strength and conditioning coaches of the mind, right? And you would never go in the weight room, put 405 in the bar and try to bench that your first day. So how do you how do you coach people through managing the overwhelm and, and navigating that? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is how do we simplify in a complex world, whether that's different coaches and you're probably really aware of this of you have your position coach you have your offense coordinator you have your head coach you might have a private um, wide receiver coach and they're all telling you different things and the worst thing that you can do is overcomplicate something mm -hmm. how do we simplify into then what is going to be then beneficial for our performance. Yeah. So what I would then do is it depends when I'm working with an individual. So I have like three or four uh, major league baseball players uh, this off season that we're diving into some of the weeds or some of the core beliefs that individuals have to get to the bottom of something to then change something that's more drastic. So if we think about like changing a baseball swing or changing a golf swing, you wouldn't do that right before a performance. Mm -hmm. So if I'm working with somebody like, like Jake Hayner um, that we've worked with every single week is on Monday, we barely introduce a new topic, whatever's gonna be more beneficial for him that week. Yeah. And then when it comes to game day, we have a, a 15 minute conversation 
on what he's going to do. I'm not really telling him anything. He's just telling me what his mindset is going to be. That's going to be most beneficial. So it's how you can take all this information. And then what I do at the end of the session is what are three things that you're going to take away from today? And and that's kind of the big one. Okay. Awesome. Seriously, this is going to be the best podcast episode yet by far. So much, so much value being packed in here. So I really appreciate this. Um, you, in the other podcast, I think it was good because I, and I know how it is. You probably have so many parents saying, well, can you help my kid with confidence? Com- like confidence is such a common word in sports psychology. And I thought it was really interesting. You said that really, when you say that it's such a blanket statement because it's so unique to the individual, what you're talking about with that confidence issue. Um, how do you diagnose that for the individual? Obviously, a lot of schooling helps, right? But (laughs) what are some things you can give people? um, Because I mean, confidence is such a massive topic. But if you were if you were to talk a little bit about that, because I think you kind of said that the key is finding out what it is with you, right? Not, not so much. It's tough to take, you know, what a lot of other people are saying and, and apply that directly to your own situation, right? So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think confidence is one. And it's a little bit less with overthinking, but like confidence is one that you can kind of tell if somebody has confidence or not. Yeah. And whether that's true or not is we, we look at somebody's body language and we say, Oh, that person doesn't look confident so that they need like skills in order to get them confident. Yeah. And one of the easiest things to do is change your body language. And if you change your body language, eventually it's going to then help change your mindset even if you're not thinking the right thing. But I mean, there's so many different aspects within confidence, whether it's comparing yourself to the wrong person, whether it's, okay, now you got this new job or this new role and the higher up you get, the more elite your competitors are. So maybe you have confidence in high school because you're the best of the best, or then maybe you go up to the next level and you're not just the best person, like you're having to fight for it. Or on a different aspect is like, maybe you are the number one person, but everyone expects you to do very well. So now are you putting too much pressure on yourself? And it looks like you don't have confidence, but really it's about performing under pressure. Yeah. So usually Confidence and overthinking are the two that I I get a lot from parents or athletes. And really my job is then to, to sift through what's exactly going on because the worst thing you can do is have this blanket approach Mm -hmm. is, Hey, you should do this. Um, And that's really not going to help everyone. It might help one or two. It's kind of like reading the book. Hey, some of the strategies work for you, but I think about what I do is, reading all the research, all the schooling that I've had is I'm sifting through in my brain, what is that strategy that might work best for this individual? Okay, hey, let's try this, like a menu item. Okay, that that's not it or that doesn't work. What about then this? Yeah. So, so that's a, a big thing with confidence is just like, you can see it. Yeah, yeah. Now, it sounds like you're really like you're the why guy. Right. And then you pull out your Terminator mask and you got your your options for what they're going to get. Right. Um, and I think it's it's super awesome. And I think that's really 
out of this too, the biggest thing I want people to, to understand is just hearing from such a pro like you is, is go get a mental coach or talk to someone, right? Because all this stuff is cool, but you need someone who's a professional to really cater it to you. Just like if you were to go, it's, it's get a receiver coach, right? Um, because everyone's going to have different deficiencies. You talk a little bit about comparison there. And I, and I love this topic because um, I think it can, it can be something like you're saying, very detrimental to an athlete, especially the higher they rise up, but also it's something that can be used as well. How do you, how do you, navigate that fine line of that double-edged sword of, of comparison yeah so i think uh the reason why we compare is one of two reasons we either want confidence or we want motivation and if we can understand what we need in that situation it's gonna help dictate who to compare to yeah so if we think about like an nfl or or college off season are you having the right people around that are gonna push you to get the most out of your workout. And that's why so many people want to work with the best and not just the best coaches, but also the surrounding um, colleagues, right? Like you going out there working with really good wide receivers that are gonna get you better. It's not really for confidence, but it's more, you're getting a glimpse of what the best are doing and you're trying to stay motivated to keep up. Mm -hmm. So we think about it kind of like a race. Are you seeing that person that's just ahead of you and that's enabling you to keep going? So to get that, that motivation. Yeah. On the flip side, are we getting and comparing ourselves to others for confidence? And is that good? Do we want to look to the person to the left and to the right? And the reason why we get confidence a lot of times is because we think, I'm better than that person. Yeah. The problem is if we base our mindset on the conditions that we're in. So now as an NFL wide receiver, you look across from you and you now don't think that you're the best. You're, you're matched up against one of the top NFL cornerbacks uh, and now your confidence starts to go down. Yeah. We need to be able to control our mindset and in those situations, like run your own race or think your own thoughts. Or look at that person and be like, yep, I am going to then absolutely crush this. So it really depends on each situation. And that's where um, one of the, the sayings that I have with Elite Mentality is, is choose excellence. That everything is a choice. That you have to choose the right way to think in a specific scenario. And it's not a one size fits all. It's not, hey, every time think that you're the best. One of the, the sayings that I use is, is train like you're in second, compete like you're in first. So if we use this idea of train like I'm in second, it's gonna motivate us in the off season where a lot of coaches will say, hey, that's where championships are won. But then when it comes time for the performance, now we're not thinking. We're going out there, we're trusting our training, we're going competing because that has what we've been trained to do and we think that we are the best. Yeah, wow. That is a great, I love that um, That first and second thing. Wow, and I think that's so powerful too. I, and I, the way I think about that sometimes and um, one of my guys I listen to a lot, Ed Milet, I'm a huge fan of his, um, he mentioned it, you know, like some people 
they compete down and other people compete up, right? And that's so easy, um, you know, confidence and also just complacency standpoint, right? To be able to compete down to people, oh, well, they're not working that hard, right? Or the vice versa, right? If you compete up, it, it, it kind of, it's like a, it's like a thermostat, right? If you're a thermometer and you get in a room and you're turning like the thermostat is being turned up by a leader or someone that's ahead of you, you're going to rise to that temperature. So I think, um, like you're saying, it, it's so good to, to have that mentality of, of feeling like you're like you're second, but also like you said, as soon as you step on the field, you have to believe that, that you're the best, right. Or that you've put in the most work and you've earned it. Okay. So let's talk, um, a little bit about anchors or I don't, I don't know the, the correct terminology that, you know, we talked about, but it, I kind of just, that's what I said, because, um, you know, I was telling you earlier uh, about the Tony Robbins stuff. I'm super into huge into his work. And that's kind of, he, he has anchors or whatever, where you're linking a, basically a feeling, a neuro association to a specific touch or whatever that you're doing or, or something that you're seeing. And, you know, we, we talked to, or we worked with this a lot when I was working with you, where we, I wrote down a list of work that I'd put in, and then I put it on uh, my wristband. We came up with a word and um, that would remind me, right. To uh, remember that, that I had this iceberg, this um, big bed of work that I had put in to get me to this point. Talk a little bit about that specific technique, just because it's very familiar with what we talked about and um, you know, how you, how you coach people through that, just to give them that. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think the, the biggest thing that of why the anchors or reminders work is a lot of times athletes or anyone kind of judges their, their current performance on what have I done lately? What have I done in the last five minutes? What have I done in warmups to get confident or not? And so if we can have those reminders, so for you, it's, it's the wristband that says thousands, that is reminding you of all the hard work that you're putting in not just maybe that one drop that you had, is now our confidence becomes more stable. We trust ourselves more. We then have stronger associations with some of the things that we're doing. So one of the major league baseball players I'm working with, it's kind of like, like, okay, when you pick up the ball, are you attacking and you're like, yes, I'm going to crush it? Or are there certain associations that you have that are more negative mm-hmm. and we are more likely to remember the bad stuff. And it's a psychological process that, that makes it more easily remembered that negative stuff because we want to avoid it in the past or in the future. We want to learn from it. And so the anchors really help remind not just in the condition that we're in, but in whatever condition of, what am I like at my best or what do I need to get back to my best instead of looking at what has happened lately or looking across uh, the field and, and judging your confidence based off what you're seeing? You have to have these strong associations, whether that's for some people putting on their helmet and right when they put on the helmet, now they're ready and they say something to themselves to then get them locked in. Yeah. If we can have that as a part of our pre-game routine and also our pre-performance routine, it's gonna enable us to get back into our zone more often. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I completely agree with you too, you, when you talk about, you know, is, is that baseball player attacking that to go make the play, 
Um, and, and it makes me think about how, you know, so many of, of athletes that are struggling, um, it, it's like they're, they're moving away from the bad thing, right? They're moving away from pain as, a poor, as opposed to moving towards pleasure, like you're talking about, which is making the play, whatever, right? Um, and how important that is to have that attack mindset. Because if you're timid, you're, you're never, like you have to have certainty with, with the actions you're taking, like you're saying. Um, you know, mental skills are just like, you know, strength and conditioning and, 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 you know, practice on the football field. So, you know, I think you, you talked about it in your other podcast as well, but people want to do all the fun, flashy stuff, right? But at the end of the day, what makes you great is the fundamentals, right? Squat, the bench, the, your EDDs, right? What are the everyday drills or just the fundamentals of mental skills that you, you have your guys come back to consistently? What should the audience, the people listening master? Yeah, I think it starts first with motivation. Motivation has to be there in order for your effort to be up. So really our why in any given moment has to be bigger than our excuses. Mm -hmm. So if you don't really have that many excuses, your why doesn't need to be that big. But the more excuses we get, we either need to decrease those excuses or increase our why. Mm -hmm. So that's a big one is motivation, attention. And we've talked about like you thinking your own thoughts and that is all is up here. But then attention is also, what are you looking at? Mm -hmm. Are you focused in on the right thing at the right time? And here's where your position coaches come into play is where should your eyes be? And when should they be there? Yeah. If you're looking at the wrong thing at the wrong or wrong time, really, then you're not going to be able to focus. Uh, third would be confidence. We've talked a lot about confidence. Um, is that person going out there playing to win, playing to do well, instead of playing not mess up? And a lot of times when we're in a higher pressure situation, people go out there and just try not to lose. Mm -hmm. And that's where they play timid, they play tense, and they end up losing because then they're so tense. Yeah. Um, and the third one would just be performing under pressure. Can you then perform when you have that anxiety, when things are on the line? Are you able to calm your heart rate down? Yeah. So if we think about it, we get your heart rate up through sprints. Now you have to do let's just say a psychological assessment. Okay. And I know McCann used to do this for you guys before the game is like the quiz. Hey, do you know the reads that you're supposed to do? There's one thing to do that in a low stress condition. Can you do that when you have a high fight or flight response? Mm -hmm. Within special operations, we train that every single day. The answer is yes, because we train it. If you don't train it, if you don't incorporate that into your everyday training, then the answer is maybe. Like some teams perform under pressure and some teams crumble under pressure oh, yeah. because they're not then training. So, so those are the three, the four I would say is um, motivation, attention, confidence, and being able to perform under pressure. Okay, yeah. And, and one thing that just stuck out to me there, if you want to talk about this real quick, how do we decrease those excuses, right, with the motivation? Because I feel like that is such an issue today in, in this culture. That we, there's just a lot of people that find a reason not to do the things that they must, right, to achieve their goals. And it's and it ultimately is it's self-sabotage, right? How do you, what, what, what's something, just because that one really sticks out to me, how do you get people to decrease their excuses? Anything that you do with your athletes? 
Yeah, I would say one of them is where is this information coming from? A lot of times it's our friends, it's our family, and then it infiltrates us to then go, hey, the reason why you're not getting playing time is the coach doesn't like you. Um, and you see that right now with the transfer portal of just so many people entering the transfer portal. What are they taking ownership of? Yeah. And they need to be able to take ownership of all the different things in order to then not let that outside noise really negatively affect them. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's very good. I think, and, and it just comes back to what we're saying, right? That awareness, I think if, if anyone takes anything out of this, that awareness is everything because once, once you realize that you're the source of all your problems, you also become the solution to all of your problems too. Just like you're saying, uh, when, when we talk about mental skills, everyone talks, wants to talk about visualizing as well. Right. And I think the thing is for people, you said it in the other interview you had as well, you know, like people don't really, they're, they're either not seeing something or they don't understand what it is. And even for me, when I first started doing it, it was tough to make things vivid. And like you, you say um, to, to your athletes, like being able to see it from different perspectives, right? How do you coach people through creating more imagery? Um, because I think a lot of people are wondering that, right? Like, how do I make it so I'm actually, it feels like I'm actually experiencing what I'm visualizing. Yeah, I think a couple easy ways to do that is Trevor Moad was amazing at this for, with his athletes is he would create highlight tapes for them mm. and then they're reliving what they just saw on film and replaying that in their head. So that's one thing is making the image or the experience as recent as possible. A lot of times we try to think about the upcoming game or what has happened a week ago or a couple weeks ago and it's really just hard for our brain to recreate or create this brand new experience. Yeah. More of a recent event. So maybe it starts with even just seeing something in your environment. You see it, you close your eyes. Can you then see that thing? If the answer is no to that, how are we going to expect to see a whole play called if we can't even imagine what's right in front of us? Yeah. So a lot of people think maybe that imagery is either you have it or you don't, but it's definitely a skill that takes work. And that that's a big piece of a, the vividness. And then what I see a lot of times is, is novice people who are talking about sports psychology will say to visualize and they'll say to set goals. And really, if we think about the negative aspects of imagery is think about when we're our own biggest critic and we're just thinking about that failure over and over and over again, and we're more likely to fail. Wow. So it's just about being vivid, but we need to have the ability to control the image so that we're more likely to then do that thing. We're more confident. We don't think when we're in that situation. Yeah. And I have my own question for you on this too, because I, we have a, a, a young pool vaulter that that's with us. And we, we talk quite a lot. He's, and he's a workhorse and he's going to be really, really good. But we, I talk about with him. I say, you know, you have the same run up every time, right? So you probably are seeing that over and over again. And it's so easy to make that perfect in your mind. Right. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And then I thought, I'm like, man, how do I, and how, I don't know if you've had this with, with some of your athletes, but especially for me, every situation is going to be different, especially when we talk about run after catch 
and, and visualizing that, what would you say to, to athletes for that are kind of creating basically their own random randomness in their, in their visualization. And then just like, it's like a movie, right? It's not the the same thing over and over again. Right. How, how would you coach someone through that? Yeah, I'd say one would be having a script and you going through that script, but also allowing time of like, all right, you're going to see yourself having this catch and here's the very specifics. And then what I do with my athletes is, all right, do one on your own. So now it gives them a little bit more freedom and exactly what you're talking about, Nolan. Now they have maybe some contingency plans and that's a really good aspect of imagery is now when shit hits the fan, what are you then going to do? Yeah. And so I think about imagery or even just like neuroplasticity of, do you know your route home? And then what if you then go a different way? Do you know the different routes? You get to this light and then now it's red. Are you trying to be more efficient in getting home by taking that right on the red light and getting home quicker? Or do you just have one pathway? We need to be able to have more neuro connections so that if there's a crash in the road, yep, we still know to get home. And that just goes to like experts and experts have more mental representations than novices. So if I said zone two to you, or if I said a certain play, you have a whole experience of what that means, not just, oh, this is zone two or zone four or or whatever it is. You have all this experience based off just this one word. And so I think an easy example for, for our listeners is like dog. So you heard my dog maybe in the background before. You don't just think about dog and that's it. You know that a dog has four legs, it's furry, it barks, it likes food, it likes treats, all these things based off your experiences. Yeah. So if we can use the imagery to get your experiences out, to get a polysensory experience, So that's why they call it imagery and not just visualization is it's not just sight. Some people have a really tough time seeing something. Maybe they can feel it. They can hear the crowd noise. They can then feel the football kept like in their hands. Like as much as we can make it feel real. Now, when we get into, especially those pressure situations, our brain goes, yep, I've been here before. Mm. I know exactly what to do. And it's the right thing instead of your brain going, oh man, I've been dreading this. And then you tend to then choke. Yeah. Wow. That is, that is great stuff. I really love that. What or how, yeah, what can we do and, and how do we embed these, these skills and stuff in our actual training, right? Because I think that's one thing that a lot of people get misconstrued and you're, you're very against this where it's, it's not mental skills isn't all in the classroom, right? It needs to be embedded through your training on the practice field, um, through whatever your sport is. What, what would you tell someone to start doing that? What, like, do, do you have a process going out into the field? You know, you talked about Jake having that, right? Where um, you gave him a little bit for each week to work on. What would you give to, especially during like PRPs in the off season, where it is really a time to, you can go right down to your foundation and work on these, these, 
these big skills, right? Because you have such a big period of time. What would you give those those athletes? Yeah, I would say go into that practice or that competition. And, and really, we're looking at practice here with a goal. Okay, today, I want to not think. Okay, let's practice that when you're then doing a physical activity. Yeah. Okay, today, I want to be confident. So you're going in, you're seeing what's working, seeing what's not. And what I've learned over the years is I work with a lot of individuals and help them with their mindset. But if we can look at the environment, if we can talk with the coaches and now the coaches are producing a conducive environment to mental skills training, that's going to be way easier for the athletes to thrive mm. because now the coach is saying, Hey, here's the mental aspect that we're working on today. We're working on not thinking we're working on whatever other technique to then be able to use when it comes time to game. Yeah. Cause, cause if we think about it so much of practice, we're beating ourselves up. And that's where a lot of people are where they are is because they're perfectionists. They're mm. wanting to be better, but that's also causing us to overthink. So then if we're doing that for 90% of the time is that 90% of the time is training. We get to the competition and then now you tell an athlete to not think they've already been thinking for 90% of the time. So that's their habit. Yeah. So yeah. If we can use some of that into practice and that's where it's kind of the art of coaching. Um, I work with a club volleyball team and they'll give me their coaching plan. And then I tweak it from there on how do we attack this certain mental exercise. So a lot of, a lot of coaches want to see how people respond to failure. Mm. Well, in practice, if we have them do a failure and then immediately again, they, they have another opportunity. Yeah, it's going to help. But that's also not a game-like setting. Like a game-like setting, you have a mistake and then you sit on the sideline for maybe 30 seconds, a minute, five minutes. And then now you have your opportunity. Yeah. So is that player now beating themselves up for five minutes? Now they go back into the game and are expected to perform. And they would have been able to perform if they would have had the ball right away. And that's where you see a lot of great quarterbacks is if one of their best players drops a ball, they want to get them the ball right away so that they are able to flush their mistake. Yeah. So I think a big thing is working with the coaches. How do we practice what we want to happen in the game from a mental standpoint and create those conditions in practice? Yeah. Yeah, we gotta we gotta get you over here. I might have to steal you and keep you over here for a little bit. Um, I just want to say, I've got a couple more questions. I want to be respectful of your time. We definitely will have to do a round two in in the in the future. There's so much more we could talk about, but you you gave so much today. We talked about it earlier, but I just want to commend you, Brett. You're doing the good work. There's so many athletes out there that you're going to impact and and really free them up to play their their game, whatever their sport is with joy. And I think that's what you gave me. You allowed me to be free. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see, to see what comes. You're called elite mentality because you are elite. You're the best I've ever seen in this field. Um, and I bet you you'll be the best I will ever see. So um, thank you so much for being on here today. Um, with, with that being said, this is kind of my two questions that I give everybody. And um, I like this for the, this, the second to last one. 
if nothing else you did in your life, no accomplishments, no, none of your things, nothing is left except for, for three ideas, lessons, um, mementos, whatever are left to your kids. What are you going to leave them out of those three things? Yeah, I think the first one is the idea of delayed gratification. Um, you might have heard about the marshmallow test where you give a kid marshmallow, you put it on, on the table, you walk away, and then you say, hey, when I come back in, I will give you another marshmallow, so you'll have two. Yeah. And the whole test is kind of messed up, but they never actually come back in. They just see how long that person will wait. Is I really believe in sacrificing today for them the benefit of tomorrow. Like, are you putting in the work today to have a better tomorrow? And, yeah. and that really just comes with discipline. I, I hope my kids realize the discipline that you have to have to then put in the work and then you reap those rewards. So that's one big aspect. Um, second one is just have fun in the moment, is enjoy and be where your feet are. Is if we're thinking too much about the future, if we're worried about the past, we're not enjoying where we are. And then the third one is just build relationships. Uh, relationships are everything. Um, your reputation is everything, but also who you're around. So just enjoy the relationships that, that you have, build and cultivate them with amazing people and, and you'll live a great life. Yeah, incredible. What does it mean to make it happen to you? I think what makes it happen is regardless of the circumstances, you get it done. So you're not basing your success or failures based off the condition. You, no matter what, no matter the chaos, no matter the silence, you get it done. Whether a thousand people are watching, a hundred thousand people are watching, or it's just you in the gym by yourself, you, you bring your best. And there you guys have it, Brett Samwick. Thank you guys so much for listening, all the support. Please rate, review, share this around. This one, I know you're gonna wanna share this with. Share this with your teammates. Share this with other people you know. Share this with your coworkers. Share this with the moms in your community. Whatever it is, this is gonna be huge for people. I think Brett is really gonna be that guy and gonna be the top of this game. He uh, He's really, like I told you guys, did I say you were gonna get value out of it? And I guarantee you, you did, so. Thank you guys so much. Again, DM me, message me on any sort of social media platforms. I will respond. Any questions, any concerns, I'm there for you guys. And I want to see you guys make it happen. Out.